Welcome to the Opium Den. I'm Daniel Williams. Well, it's another Thursday evening. It's August 20th, 2009. And as I like to do every Thursday night, give you a, a weather update of what's going on down here in beautiful Southwest Florida. It is another dark and stormy night, beginning to get fairly repetitive as our rainy season begins down here. But uh, the angels and the gods must be bowling because the thunder and lightning is quite incredible this evening. You may even hear it in the background here inside the opium den. Now where I live down here in southwest Florida, it's about a mile as the crow flies from the Gulf of Mexico. So during the summer months, I like to sit out on the lanai, smoke a big fat cigar, and watch and watch the storms roll in from the Gulf. They are exceptionally beautiful. Mother Nature is a wonderful thing. So I enjoy watching the storms, and it certainly seems as if there is another big one brewing this evening. And for many of my faithful listeners who I welcome back this evening and also those who may be turning on and tuning in for the first time, you know that we have a sweet 11-year-old chocolate lab by the name of Bahama who doesn't share the same appreciation for the storms that I do and needs to be medicated on these rainy and stormy nights and days because it happens throughout the day as well. So rest assured, Bahama is is medicated. She's curled up here on the floor inside the opium den and quite happy and ready to hear what her daddy has to say. Of course, she's kind of high, as I would imagine more than a few of my listeners are as well. But... That's the weather report. I hope the weather where you are is is nice and you're enjoying your summer. So as we do every week, we like to encourage all of our listeners to call in. We'll put you on the show. And that number that you can call is 727-493-2205. Again, 727-493-2205. So give us a call. We'll put you on the radio show, and if you have a Skype account, you can call us. <clears throat> you can call us on Skype. My Skype ID is the New Libertarian. That's the New Libertarian. So give us a call. Let us know what you think. We'll put you on the air. You can always send us an email right there on the home page where it says on the right column it says email Daniel. If you have a comment or a question or a bitch or a brilliant idea, share it with us tonight, either by phone line, Skype, or email. So we got a few things we want to talk about tonight. And I want to start off by talking about one of my favorite reporters, as I've said here inside of the Opium Den many times before. One of my favorite reporters is Mary O'Grady over at the Wall Street Journal. 
She has been and continues to be one of the best at exposing the absurdities of the drug war. And Mary wrote another fine piece this past Monday. It was about Hugo Chavez, that uh, socialist nut job running Venezuela into the ground, and his latest tirade against the U.S.-Columbia Free Trade Agreement. Now, Chavez was attending a summit meeting in Ecuador of all of his uh, fellow South American heads of state. So this is where this was the forum that Chavez ran his tirade, and he, he's quoted as saying, the winds of war are starting to blow, Chavez uh, shouted from the podium, and he, implying that these winds of war would reach hurricane force should the agreement be ratified. Now, a part of the U.S.-Columbia Free Trade Agreement would allow U.S. drug surveillance planes to use Colombian military bases taking off and landing in Colombia as they fight the drug war, the silly, insane drug war. But like I said, part of the agreement would allow U.S. drug surveillance planes to uh, fly over Colombian airspace and use their military bases as well. As uh, both the United States and Colombia have identified Venezuela as a major player in the cocaine trade, um, solid evidence exists that the Venezuelan National Guard and high-ranking members of Chavez, Chavez's government are deeply involved in uh, dealing cocaine. So any, any stepped-up efforts would place at risk the hundreds of millions of dollars Chavez and his cronies earned from dealing coke money that is all the more important now that oil prices have fallen. Chavez seems to have his fullest voice when oil prices are at uh, much higher rates than they are today. I believe they're around 72 or $73 was the close today. And the Venezuelan, <clears throat> the Venezuelan economy is almost solely based on oil revenue and their break-even point is around um, $70 a barrel. So it's getting pretty close to the best for Hugo and his crew down in Venezuela, so this drug money is even uh, even more important to uh, Chavez. Now, as I mentioned, uh, Chavez uh, was attending this meeting in Ecuador of his peers, his other the other South American heads of state, and he did his very best to sully the name of uh, the United States and Colombia, but to his chagrin, uh, Chavez could not convince uh, his peers at the summit to officially uh, condemn Colombia. But he remains undaunted in his quest to export his brand of ideology or government uh, throughout the uh, throughout the region. Now, the little drug war is pretty queer, of course. But what is truly surreal is that even as Obama is wavering on signing the Colombia Free Trade Agreement, he strongly supports Chavez's demand for the reinstatement of the lawfully deposed president of Honduras, Manuel 
Zelaya. Many of you are probably familiar with the story down in Honduras where Zelaya tried his best to usurp the Honduran constitution by trying to grab power through running for a uh, another term which the, the constitution which the constitution uh, prohibited um, now the majority the majority of Hondurans believe that uh, Zelaya is guilty of trying to usurp the constitution and they are in shock uh, shock that Obama would support the return of Zelaya to the presidency of the, uh, of the Honduras. Um, Hondurans and, uh, and many others in South America are looking to the U.S. for leadership in resisting Chavez's grab for uh, regional influence. But uh, stalling on the U.S.-Columbia Free Trade Trade Agreement and standing next to Chavez and Zelaya, President Obama is signaling the region that their desire for leadership will remain unfulfilled. All of this has been been reported by uh, Mario Grady in the Monday Wall Street Journal. What I would like to do, finish off, I really like the way uh, Mario Grady writes She's a very smart woman, and uh, like I said, the the clearest and and loudest voice out there in the newspaper world against the the follies of drug prohibition. So I want to read, I want to read to all my listeners here the uh, final paragraph in uh, Mario Grady's piece on Monday, and this is it. The U.S. war on drugs has been a colossal failure because of the large cocaine market in the U.S. The tragedy beyond the violence it creates is that criminal enterprises flourishing because of U.S. customers wreak havoc on frail institutions. That's bad enough. But the Obama administration pours salt into that gaping wound by refusing to support the U.S.-Columbia Free Trade Agreement our ally in Colombia has asked for, and now by backing Mr. Chavez's Honduran pawn. Mario Grady, The Wall Street Journal. Pick it up, reader, Googler. She is a very, very smart reporter. Now I'd like to introduce another uh, reporter who I think is pretty smart when it comes to writing about the ravages of the drug war, and her name is Diane Francis. Now, Diane is the editor-at-large for the Financial Post, which is a paper in Ottawa, Canada. And uh, she wrote a nice piece about the recent meeting of the leaders of Mexico, Canada, and U.S. in the United States. Now, you know, that happened, uh, I don't know, about nine or ten days ago, where... These three fellows uh, got together, and I, I like the way Diane uh, uh, Diane frames that. She goes, she called it the Three Amigos Summit. I thought that was uh, particularly uh, apt and also timely because last week on uh, the cable cable TV uh, down here, uh, the 
the movie Three Amigos, which uh, which uh, starred uh, uh, Christ, who did it star? <laughs> Chevy, <laughs> Chevy Chase and uh, oh Steve Martin and uh, oh gosh, who was the third Amigo? Well, I knew I should have written that shit down, but anyway. Fasting the Hoover there, I just thought it was funny. She called it the Three Amigos Summit, and I watched the uh, parts of Three Amigos again, and it just uh, convinced me again how uh, how funny how funny that movie was. But anyway, the the main point of Diane's piece, although she spoke about uh, the difficulties uh, that the three uh, countries have with uh, immigration and visas and things of that nature. But the main point was that the, uh, the U.S. war on drugs uh, is ravaging uh, Mexico. And uh, Diane points out that uh, most Mexicans uh, who are fleeing Mexico, um, or most Mexicans who leave, are uh, fleeing Mexico's growing poverty rate. Now, if you remember the recent uh, flu scare down in Mexico. It brought a very fragile economy to a standstill and they're having uh, great difficulties uh, recovering as most everyone around the world is that's caught up in this economic downturn. It is particularly uh, difficult for Mexico. So these poor conditions uh, have led to obviously a, a tremendous amount of lawlessness and uh, a de facto takeover of parts of the country, as Diane writes, uh, taking over parts of the country, its economy, and society uh, by the vicious uh, drug cartels. Now, uh, you know, it's very bad for Mexico, but it has also played uh, into another major problem for the continent, which is our, America's, growing appetite for narcotics, specifically uh, cocaine. And that prohibition uh, makes these uh, drugs all the more valuable. Diane rightly writes that every year uh, here in the United States, we jail hundreds of thousands of our young people, mostly young people. We spend billions on uh, drug prohibition and refuse even to debate legalization, regulation, and the taxation of drugs. And Diane says that our war on drugs has been a total failure and it also propagates the myth that addicts are criminals not sick folks but Diane goes on to write that this confluence of events means that instability and corruption is metastasizing in Mexico driving more Mexicans out of the country or into crime inside Mexico last year Diane reports, last year, 4,000 important civic officials from police chiefs to mayors and judges were assassinated by the country's powerful drug cartels, and the total drug-related murder tally uh, in 2008 was 10,000 individuals. And she also mentions that last fall, and, and what most believe are suspicious circumstances, uh, the assumed uh, successor for Mexico, or Mexican President uh, Felipe Calderon, uh, his assumed uh, successor 
uh, died when his jet mysteriously crashed into the heart of Mexico City on November the 4th, which was the same day that President Obama was elected. I don't know if that was a message or a coincidence, but there was little news uh, coverage considering uh, all those questions that were being raised. It was deemed an accident, uh, Diane says, but there are skeptics, and rightfully there should be skeptics, and you can count me as a skeptic, Diane. And uh, Diane reports that the, seri- the situation is so serious that now the Mexico, Mexico's army is engaged, and Canada has just announced an initiative to send uh, military advisors to Mexico, and of course... Uh, We Americans have been there for many months uh, trying to help. So although the uh, Three Amigos Summit uh, covered a a range of uh, business issues such as protectionism, you know, the banking crisis, you know, the damage to tourism from the recent uh, swine flu scare and, uh, you know, new passport and uh, visa requirements, but But Diane rightly says the subtext of the meeting was much darker. Now, Diane was able to get an interview with the former president of Colombia this this last spring in uh, in Brazil, well, this this past spring in Brazil. Who? Okay, I just got uh, a, a word for my my technical guru that uh, one of my listeners is having difficulty uh, hearing us tonight. So I'm hoping that uh, that's a signal, a single issue. And uh, if anyone out there is, is listening or trying to listen and having difficulty, please give us a call at 727-473-2205. Sorry about the interruption, but, uh, you know, technical guys, they got to tell you when the, when the deal is is not doing so well. But anyway, I hope that uh, I turned the volume up a little bit. I hope that uh, cures things for you out there, Mike. Uh, but as I mentioned, Diane had a uh, an interview this past spring with the former president of Colombia. Uh, they were down in Brazil. And this is what the former president of Colombia had to say. And he has said it uh, uh, many times. And I'll quote him. Drug usage is unstoppable in the United States, and the cartels have coyotes, which are people smugglers, planting on the streets hundreds of thousands of illegals selling drugs. The U.S. consumption has stayed level, despite huge costs and the jailing of millions of people. Uh, The former president of Colombia told Diane that the Americans must recant and abandon their drug prohibition policies and adopt a, a European or a Canadian-style health care uh, to deal with the problem. I'm not so sure if I agree that uh, that type of health care pro- pro- uh, healthcare program in, uh, in Europe or Canadian really is any better at dealing with the problem than uh, regular uh, medical issues. But anyway, uh, because we have not uh, recanted or abandoned our drug prohibition policies, uh, Mexico runs the risk of being devastated, just as Colombia has been by the uh, drug consumption drug consumption habits of the United States. Um, I believe we're uh, we're getting a call here. Oh no, we got a we got a. I love Skype. We got a Skype message here from uh, our friend of the show, Luke, and Luke has sent me a Skype 
instant message saying that everything sounds fine on his end. So that's encouraging. That's encouraging. Uh, thank you, Luke, friend of the show. Um, just to finish up that uh, with the, uh, the interview that uh, Diane had with the former president of Colombia, he said that Mexico is now fighting this battle and must do that, meaning to fight the battle that cannot win. And I believe uh, that makes a lot of sense. And Diane ended her her piece by saying that by acknowledging that Mexico uh, cannot win the war itself. And uh, Diane says neither can the other two amigos. So Diane, uh, thank you for uh, for your article, and I want to uh, tell all the all those inside the opium den tonight that Diane, I after. Uh, after reading Diane's uh, piece, and when I read all of these pieces, like Mary O'Grady and others, I always contact them and and thank them for their courage and honesty in reporting uh, on this uh, on this stupid drug war. And I always ask them. I said, "Well, you know, how would you like to come inside the opium den and and uh, do an interview and and share your uh, your expanded views on the drug war?" Whereas most most of these uh, reporters that I contact uh, decline either because their bosses won't allow them or it's just another story to them and they have no real interest in the drug drug war other than uh, the assignment that they have. But Diane had no such qualms and being the editor at large, apparently she did not need the approval of her superiors. And Diane has graciously agreed to do an interview with yours truly here inside the Opium Den uh, this coming Monday morning. So we'll be doing this interview uh, with Diane Francis, editor-at-large of the Financial Post in Ottawa, Canada. At 9 o'clock Monday morning, I'll be conducting an interview with Diane, and we'll get that up in the archives as quickly as possible. So Diane, if you're listening tonight, uh, thanks again for your your reporting and your honesty with regards to the drug drug war. And we look forward to talking to you on Monday morning. And I'm sure your insights will be uh, valuable and, and of great interest to everyone who visits the Opium Den and, and downloads the interviews. So a couple other stories here. Let's get a little closer to home, a little closer to home. Uh, big news uh, this week. I don't know if uh, anyone saw it or not. But uh, it is estimated that uh, 90%, that 90%, all but 10%, 90% of the money in circulation here in the United States uh, is tainted with cocaine. Now, I find that pretty interesting. Um, 90%, 90% of our money supply is tainted with cocaine. And I would have to probably think that it, that same 90% that, that is tainted with cocaine is also uh, infused with uh, boogers. Because <laughs> I mean, they're sticking those bills up their nose to start that shit. So uh, we've got uh, some uh, dirty money out there, as they like to say. Dirty money. 90% of the money in circulation have, uh, has traces of cocaine on it. So technically, technically, um, 
if you have this currency in your possession, especially more than one bill, because it's just traces, but technically, by having this money in your possession, you're guilty of drug possession. And on just another absurdity of the drug war, that, uh, you know, taking, taking change from the cashier at Publix and put it in your wallet, and uh, walking past a drug dog might uh, might get you taken down and uh, at the at the minimum uh, frisked and embarrassed and possibly hauled off to jail before you were able to explain that uh, you're not snorting coke, you're just carrying the cash around from people who have. But think about that for a minute. 90%, 90% of our money is tainted with the residue of, of cocaine. Now, <clears throat> I don't do cocaine anymore. I, I believe it's a, a young man or a young woman's drug. As you get older, it tends, unless you have uh, an issue, uh, it tends not to be uh, that much fun anymore. It's a young man's game. But if 90% of the money is, uh, have, have traces of cocaine on it, what does that really tell us about the amount of cocaine use here in the United States? Now, they say 80% of your business is done by 20% of your customers, but maybe that's not exactly true as it, uh, as it relates to cocaine use in the United States because that would mean that uh, a very small amount of Americans would be in possession of an awful lot of cash. So uh, I think that the, uh, the cocaine uh, issue, uh, at least from the, uh, the snorting aspect, not the uh, smoking aspect, but the snorting aspect of cocaine is still uh, fairly popular, very popular here in the United States. I mean, how else could 90% of our money be tainted with the cocaine residue? A lot of cocaine uh, going on out there, and there shouldn't be any, any real surprise. Now, of course, the UNDCP and our our new uh, clown in charge, Gil Kurlikowski. Uh, I'd be interested to I'd be interested to, uh, to hear what uh, he has to say about uh, such a high high degree of uh, cocaine tainted cash. Of course, he's a complete he's a complete fucking idiot. So it doesn't matter what he says. Uh, but I can tell you this: uh, his stepson. Uh, has certainly had his share of cocaine-tainted cash and left a few boogers on him himself because he did. He was arrested and did time for uh, for uh, drug uh, drug offenses. Again, I'm not uh, a fan of sending anyone to jail for the use of drugs, but what is is, and Gil Kurlikowski's uh, stepson uh, had. Uh, Many of those bills shoved up his nose as he was uh, snorting, a, snorting a Cadillac or two in his prime before going, uh, going to jail. So, again, I, wanna, I know I've got some listeners out there because they've called in and instant messaged me about sound quality tonight. And I want to, again, encourage all of my listeners to give us a call here inside the Opium Den. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to put you on the radio. And you can do that by calling 727-493-2205. Again, that is 727-493-2205. Or if you have a Skype account, call me on Skype. My ID is 
the new libertarian and you can also send us an email but we prefer phone calls we want to hear your your voice and share it with everyone else here inside the opium den now on a lighter i guess not much lighter side i guess it's pretty light that <laughs> it's kind of funny that all that cash is tainted with cocaine but here's here's a story that's just cropping up that uh, I've, I've spoken about before and in uh, many of my lectures, but I'm not sure if I've made the point here inside the opium den yet. But I am going to uh, to make it uh, to make it tonight. Now, in the news recently, uh, I saw a couple of stories, but they're not they're not going to get uh, uh, spread around that much by the mainstream media, at least not yet. But here's uh, here's here's what's happening: that uh, they expect a significant surge in the in the use of marijuana by baby boomers once they retire. Now, as I said in my uh, in my uh, Facebook announcement tonight, we would be talking about that. Um, and I also said that it kind of puts the lie to the old conventional wisdom that if you lived through the 60s, you certainly don't remember them. Because all the people, or a large amount of the people, are the people who quit smoking pot after... Uh, their useful indiscretions, as the politicians like to call it, their their experimentation and joy of smoking marijuana in their college years or in their younger years, and many of them who no longer smoke uh, quit smoking not because they didn't like pot, but you know they had, went out and got jobs, got married, had families, and tended to uh, stay away from from illegal acts. Didn't stop. Doesn't stop them from drinking a lot or drinking period, whether it's a lot or not, I guess is a debatable question unless you hang out in bars and then you kind of figure everybody drinks a lot. But the, uh, the interesting thing is <clears throat> they have not forgotten. They have not forgotten the joys involved in smoking marijuana. And as they retire, no longer at the risk of losing their job or facing uh, drug tests from their employer, uh, they uh, are beginning to think, well, you know what? I really liked smoking pot back when I was a young man or a young woman, and now that I'm retired and don't have the risk of losing my job or uh, having the kids come in the uh, the bedroom or out on the porch when we're smoking it because the kids are gone, they're empty nesters. Uh, they're going to say they're going to start smoking pot, <laughs> and I think that's wonderful. I think it's absolutely wonderful, and it should not be uh, it should not be a surprise to anyone out there. Of course, it will be a surprise, but just think about that. You know, most of the people who are who are consuming recreational drugs uh, responsibly, I might uh, I might add, most of the folks doing that are uh, you know under the age of let's say forty. The majority of recreational drug use is in that demographic. And since there are since approximately 40, 40 million people will get high this year in the United States, that's a large, uh, that's a large amount of uh, individuals in that, in that age demographic. But you throw in a certain percentage of the 77 million baby boomers who are retiring, if you throw in a certain percentage of them into the mix... We're going to have a, <laughs> we're going to have a shitload of potheads out there, and, I, and like I said, I think that's wonderful. Um, but the interesting thing is, um, all of us baby boomers, as we are reaching retirement age, I have, I'm not there yet, but I'm only 
I'm only three years away from the minimum age for Social Security and uh, six years away from the minimum age for Medicare. Uh, which, if you're doing, trying to do your math in, the head, in your head there, put down the bong and I'll tell you what it is. That means I'm 59 years old. So the interesting thing, um, aside from the fact that we'll have a significant increase in the overall number of uh, individuals uh, enjoying the benefits of, uh, the many benefits of cannabis consumption, it's going to be interesting because these folks are going to be voting as well. These are the ones who do most of the voting. So it would seem that, uh, as I mentioned in my blog report tonight, that uh, it would be a good idea for, uh, for President Obama to man up and uh, remove marijuana from the Controlled Substances Act and uh, stop all uh, funding for local and state efforts to, uh, to fight the, uh, the prohibition of marijuana. Now, I don't know if if it's going to come to fruition or not, but uh, this is one uh, one scenario that I that I uh, tend to think about uh, when it comes to politics. That uh, many of us baby boomers, especially those of us on the tail end, not not so much the ones that are already taking Social Security and getting Medicaid or Medicare, but uh, many of us that are coming in on the last end of that 77 million baby boomer group. We could very well see, uh, if not our Social Security payments going down, maybe or may not. But I believe we will be uh, we will be forced into uh, a different arrangement when it comes to Medicare. I think uh, some of it will be means tested, meaning that uh, if you uh, are financially in a situation where uh, you're not reliant upon Social Security and prefer to have uh, your medical care uh, taken care of privately, uh, we're going to see some uh, reduction uh, in in our benefits. We may even see a reduction in our Social Security allotment, but we will see some we will see some uh, shrinking of our benefits. And it would only make sense uh, to keep to keep many of us baby boomers uh, happy about that, or not happy, but less than uh, riotous about. Uh, the reduction in benefits would be to allow us to uh, to get high, <laughs> get high legally and get high uh, cheaply, because in, in a legal and regulated market, uh, pot's not going to be very expensive. Um, and if they try to tax it too heavily, all these baby boomers with time on their hands uh, will uh, let their garden grow, so to speak, and uh, wouldn't be too far out of the realm of possibility that these retired baby boomers with a lot of time on their hands would be uh, would become quite proficient in the cultivation of cannabis and uh, <laughs> could could be the uh, the new drug dealers of the uh, of the early 21st century because if we do uh, get uh, get skinnied on some of our benefits how better to uh, replace some of that uh, lost income and opportunity with a little bit of revenue from pot dealing. So if a <clears throat> so I think it would be a good idea, uh, a capital idea, as they say, if uh, President Obama were to uh, get out front on this issue and be proactive and uh, eliminate the, uh, 
the prohibitions against marijuana. And a, and a, a very sound reason for another sound reason for doing that, as I've mentioned on the here inside the opium den before, that uh, Virginia Senator Jim Webb, Democrat uh, from Virginia, has proposed, uh, still hasn't uh, passed, but he has proposed the uh, National Criminal Justice Commission Act of 2009. Uh, be an 18-month-long study once it gets underway. But the, uh, the purpose of the uh, Criminal Justice Commission Act of 2009 is to take an in-depth look at our criminal justice system and uh, reform it. And much of this look that the commission will be taking is uh, a look at the criminal justice system as it, uh, as it applies to uh, drug prohibition. Now, <clears throat> I, I've mentioned before that I'm not a big fan of Blue Ribbon Commissions. I remember when Richard Nixon had his Blue Ribbon Commission on marijuana uh, and I remember when uh, Gerald, when uh, Jimmy Carter, uh, <clears throat> Jimmy Carter had his own uh, commission on uh, on marijuana. Both of these commissions, the one for Nixon and the one for Carter, recommended that we decriminalize, if not completely legalize, the personal cultivation and use of marijuana. So unless. Jim Webb is, uh, is not going to be honest about all of this, and I, and I assume they will. I assume that Jim Webb's commission will come back at the minimum and uh, recommend the decriminalization, if not the outright legalization of the cultivation and consumption of cannabis. So it would, be, it would behoove President Obama, knowing that this is more than likely going to be at least one of the recommendations of the National Criminal Justice Commission Act of 2009 uh, to, to at least look down the road and, and understand that that is going to be one of the recommendations and do something now. Do something now for all of us pot-loving, responsible, recreational users out there and take marijuana out of the Controlled Substances Act and uh, no longer fund any state and local efforts to to uh, run down all of us, all of us potheads. So if President Obama uh, would do that, yeah, it's not going to cost him any uh, political capital. In fact, uh, studies show that a significant portion of America believe that Americans believe that marijuana uh, should not be a uh, uh, should not be prohibited. So if uh, if President Obama had the uh, had the foresight to look down the road and see this as an inevitable uh, recommendation from Jim Webb's uh, National Criminal Justice Commission, uh, he would do this. It would be a, a smart thing, be a good thing, it would be a humane thing, it would be a common sense thing to do, and it would help get him out of some of the shit that he's got himself in with all of this uh, health care uh, business. So... Uh, the question is, the question that remains, and it's a good one, and it's also a fair one, is whether or not President Barack Obama has the balls to do it. It would be politically sound, uh, it would be economically sound, and we would, uh, during that 18-month to 24-month time frame of the commission being in, you know, 
being uh, dilly-dallied around in Congress. During that time, uh, we would save over 1.5 million Americans, mostly younger ones. We would save them from being arrested for the simple possession of marijuana and thrust into the criminal justice system that Jim Webb's National Commission is designed to eliminate. So it's a win-win situation. Uh, 1.5 million individuals will not be arrested for the simple possession of marijuana. The, the country will begin its, its hopefully not too long healing process on the ravages and the insanity of 95 years of drug prohibition that has uh, laid themselves on us. So tell me what you think about that. Just give me a call. Uh, as I mentioned, the number is 727-493-2205. Give me a call and let me know if you think Barack Obama's got the balls to uh, to do that or not. So I don't think he does. I hope he does. I mean, I'm not trying to be a cynic, but uh, I am skeptical. And I would uh, I would be very surprised if Barack Obama had the balls to... Uh, to make that uh, to make that important decision for uh, not only the United States but for other countries, allow them to make decisions, local decisions based upon local problems, like Portugal and the Netherlands have have done so far. So anyway, Barack Obama, man up, you know, get some balls, do the right thing. Eliminate the prohibitions against pot and create a regulated market to control the sale and distribution of cannabis, very similar to what we have now for alcohol and tobacco. I'm counting on you, Barack, but I think you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna fuck us again. But anyway, uh, I'm not trying to be a cynic, but Colin will let me know what you think about uh, President Obama, whether he's got the balls or not to do the right thing. So what we have now, we're at, uh, at a quarter to the hour. I've babbled on now for approximately 42 minutes. And uh, we li- as we like to close out the show uh, every week, we like to do uh, a series and do our, our little, uh, our little um, segment that uh, we call Cops on Drugs. And this is a, a compilation of the, uh, the past week's uh, corrupt cops that uh, that have been uh, in, have gotten themselves involved in the in the uh, in drug drug dealing and drug ripping off and everything else. Crazy cops, cops on drugs. And again, I always like to send out uh, appreciation to all the good folks over at StopTheDrugWar.net and. Uh, the Drug War Chronicle, which is the uh, which is the section of uh, that website that uh, compiles and chronicles all of the uh, corrupt cop stories, as they like to call them, and I like to call them cops on drugs. So we're going to start out <clears throat> this week up in Zanesville, Ohio, kind of like my uh, my old stomping grounds. I grew up in Fairborn, Ohio, and I know where Zanesville is, but we're going up to Zanesville where a uh, a Zanesville police officer, uh, he was sentenced uh, just the end of last month, July 30th. He was sentenced to 20 years in prison 
for, uh, oh, we have uh, another friend of the show calling, Brian Bennett. So let's uh, interrupt our cops on drugs and talk to some people on drugs. Brian Bennett, how are you? Doing well, Daniel. How are you? Well, I'm just sitting here in a, in a rainstorm uh, talking about my favorite subject. How are you? Oh, hanging in there. I finally get back online. I'm <laughs> just listening to the show tonight. Well, I appreciate that. How's the how's the volume level coming through? Okay for you? Oh, yeah. It was excellent. Yeah, okay. I had no problems at all. Well, good. What's on your mind, Brian? I haven't talked to you in a while, man. Give me give me some straight shit from, from your end. Well, lots of different stuff as usual and uh, you know, perfectly related to what you've been talking about. Um, yeah, really, the whole problem with, with what's going on with Obama and doing the right thing is that realistically, right now, that is absolutely not an option. I know you're right. There's no doubt about it. However, there's a really big critical piece of the puzzle missing, and that is the actual preparation of the public for that as a focus. Well, right how, now, how much more preparation do you think we, do you think they need, Brian? I mean, really? Well, right now, there's too much going on. I mean, if he came out tomorrow and said, hey, look, this is really stupid. Uh, we've been looking at it. It's a bad idea. We've got to stop doing it. So let's, let's stop punishing people for smoking marijuana. The, the uh, blogosphere, the media would go absolutely apeshit. Well, the blog worried the... about. You're worried about letting people smoke pot. We've got all these health care problems. We've got these wars going on, and you're out here kowtowing to the potheads. Well, as bad as things are, maybe it'd be a good idea to keep us all stoned and happy. Well, I agree with you, Brian. Keep I... us stoned and happy, but we are stoned and happy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> now, where the fuck are we now? I, I agree with you. I don't. I don't think he's got the balls to do it. But it really would be a simple thing. It's not like health care. Second term or... thing. He has the balls. It's just a second term thing. No, nah, I don't think he's got the balls. No, he does. Because more than anything else, uh, seriously, what 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 we have to do in the reform movement. Uh, is, is get our shit together and really come up with a coherent plan of explaining all of this in toto to the American people and the world at large. That's, that's what's missing. And until we do that, we cannot expect any politician to stand up for the right thing. Well, that, I think, I think we've done a pretty good job. Your, your website, and among others, and yeah, my, con- small, my small contribution, I think we, ha- we are doing the job, and I don't think that there are that many... Uh, more people out there that we need to to convince that this is uh, the right thing to do. I think the the public is way ahead of the curve uh, than the over right. the politicians. And, and more importantly, you got to give them the ammunition that they need to make it easier to explain to the politicians why they're righteously pissed off about it and want something done. Uh, so right now, yes, people will agree if you go do a poll and say, "Hey, you know, we got to stop arresting people for smoking pot." Most people will say, "Yeah, that's true." However, how do you get there? What's the connection between point A and point B, especially when the, uh, the, the most vocal people are the rabid prohibitionists? Yeah, but I, yeah, that's, that's true. But, but what do you think about my point about all these retiring baby boomers going to get their bongs out of the closet and start smoking pot again? I mean, these fuckers vote. That's, that's most, the most of the people that well, do drugs don't vote, but these fuckers vote. Do you think that uh, that, has any, uh, that has any traction? I mean, yes. they are yes. expecting a huge surge in marijuana consumption when all of those fuckers start retiring. Yes, exactly. And that's the swell that's a requirement for reaching, reaching critical mass in terms of the total percentage of the population willing to go for the change. As the older fuckers die off, 
and the baby boomers retire and can get back to business and say, hey, you know what? I remember why I did this. It's yeah, right. yeah that, old, again, that old canard, if he lives through the 60s, you can't remember him. That's bullshit. Yeah, I mean, these guys, these people are just dying to get back into their tie-dye and, absolutely, they and start token again. Doing it. And that is I never like, quit, by the way. But <laughs> well, me neither. And there's a lot of people that haven't, but they couldn't admit it out loud. That's right. That's a good point, Brian. That's a very good point. These fuckers are going to get vocal because they don't have to worry about losing their job or pissing in a cup or anything. Yep. And they're going to say, you know what? This shit's pretty good. That's how you make it a political reality. You finally have the numbers of people that you need who are going to take the action required and can stand up and say, hey, wait a minute. You fuckers are out of your mind. I've been doing this my whole life. Uh, you're wrong. And we know it. And here's all the information. By the way, this is your information, so game over. But right now, that we're, we're, all, we're at the crux. That's why I say it's the next election cycle or the one after that. That's when it's going to happen. So what, job, let me ask you this, Brian. If you, if, if, uh, under your scenario, and I'm not saying that's, it's wrong because we're not there yet, but that this is a second-term deal. First of all, if, if Obama doesn't get all this shit right... He may not have a second. He might not have a second term. Hillary Clinton <laughs> might rise from the ashes, and if not her, somebody else might challenge him for the 2012 nomination because he is not as liberal as they all thought he was going to be, and he he may face a challenge. Do you think that's possible? Let me restate the uh, the issue. Then let me say it this way: It is a 2012 or 2016 election issue, not necessarily a second term issue. But, yeah, if, if, if the political climate is ripe enough at that point, if there are enough baby boomers who are a big enough political force at that point to really exercise their will on the political class, then it's possible for Obama to say, all right, damn it, I'm going to do it now. And if he doesn't, then someone else can come along and say, I'll do it. But it's going to happen. Somebody will finally stand up and do it simply because there will be enough of us out there screaming for it and we'll have enough of a... a a percentage of the voting population. Well, you know, what, what I think might happen, and, I, and, I, and I'm on record in my book and, and several uh, recorded uh, speeches and interviews is saying that I think that quite possibly it could, it could be uh, a Republican issue in, in 2012. We've got plenty from uh, what is it, Minnesota and some of, these, uh, some of these younger Republicans that are coming along, they may uh, rediscover their conservative roots and say, you know what? We don't think that getting, you know, smoking pot's a good thing, but we don't think arresting people for doing things that have been proven to be largely benign. They may take this up as an issue to to gain the upper hand and to bring into the Republican fold a lot of the a lot of the young people that uh, that fell for Obama's fairy dust and pixie dust and on drug policy and say, you know what, your guy's not doing it. We will. Do you think that's a possibility? Yeah, in a sense. Or am I just too high? <laughs> yeah, really. You're always too high. <laughs> no, seriously, this, this is inherently a, well, all right, you know, traditional Republican issue. It's a question of individual rights. It's a question of limited government power. It's a question of uh, fiscal responsibility. Well, we all know what the question so, is, but the real question is, do you think the Republicans might uh, wake up from their slumber and go, you know what, this might not be a bad issue? I think they will, because they had, they've overthrown the evangelical wing. And right now they're in a flux and trying to jockey around for position to see what, what power structure is going to emerge. And it's the key issue, uh, not, not just the drug thing, but personal rights in general. You know, with, with all the screaming that's going on about health care, 
one of the funnier things that I've been trying to harp on people for a long time is that, look, if the government can tell you that you can't do drugs, you can't do something to yourself, they can also tell you what you have to do to yourself. And if it gives the power to them to tell you what the hell you can do to yourself in your life, there's no one. So they can come in and say, hey, look, you know what? You're too fat. You eat shitty. So here's your lettuce, and I want to see you drop and do 40 here because you're out of weight. You're, you know, you're obese. You're costing me too much money. And then, and then when you can't accomplish all those minor uh, feats of physical prowess, light one up. Yeah, that's it. Man, we got <laughs> well, you. You well, well, here's Well, here's, here's what I'm thinking. I mean, if the Republicans were to take this issue as their own, it would be very difficult for the two you know, biggest mouths of the Republican uh, side, not so much the elected officials, but you know Rush Limbaugh and Sarah Palin. I mean, how how would they be, how would they react to the Republican to the Republican leadership taking on this issue? Because one, Palin uh, smoked pot, but she you know uses the caveat, "Well, I smoked pot in Alaska when it was legal." You know, well, shut the fuck up. <laughs> and then Rush Limbaugh, who had a you know almost a three year three year long love affair with opiates. Like, what the fuck are these two guys going to say? These two folks going to say if plenty or Bobby Jindal or someone, even even Mitt Romney, because that motherfucker will he'll spin any which way the wind blows. What, yeah, they would, all will. what would they be able to say? Out. What would they be able to say against them? What what could Rush and Sarah say against uh, these young uh, tricks in the Republican Party that want to take this issue, the drug issue, and make it their own? I don't think he has much to say other than the screeching that he's been doing for the past couple of decades, and likewise with Sarah Palin. But but those folks have rendered themselves largely irrelevant. And once the, the next generation of voices starts to get out there, uh, they will either adapt and say, okay, this is my side, now I'm on this team because I like to win, or they'll continue with the shrill, you know, basically burn the witches mentality and, and disappear, as they should. You know, they, they really have lost all credibility. Uh, Rush clearly has lost any credibility about talking about drug policy. It's like, come on, dude. You know, if you're if you're out there doing it and railing against it in the same voice, uh, you know, hello. Well, at least he ha- at least he hasn't uttered his his infamous statement that all drug all drug users should be you know put up against the wall yeah, and shot. or whatever. Yeah, you know, I haven't heard, I haven't heard him uh, reference that fucking bu- you know bullshit in, in in a while. And uh, and I think you know Sarah Palin and Rush Limbaugh they do have. Uh, they do have a considerable voice, whether their following is widespread but not very deep. But they still uh, tend to uh, to get uh, get the base at least uh, riled up. So they, they, well, they and, still and that's going to continue on again through the next uh, the next election cycle and the one after that until all the dust settles and we figure out that okay, we won and we're gonna. And you know, to me, there's no doubt those people represent a small but extraordinarily lar- or loud uh, minority. They've been in the limelight. They've already gotten the attention. So now the question is, let's allow them to continue to embarrass themselves until the point in time that people understand that, oh, holy crap, they really are irrelevant. They stop paying attention to them. And it will happen. And Sarah Palin basically is, uh, you know, I give her 18 months, two years tops. I don't really think that she's going to make an impact on the next election cycle. Well, I, I I don't know what impact she'll have, but I do believe that uh, she's deluded in her own mind, thinking that she'll be a viable candidate in 2012. But her book and her talk show, and and you know, if she does put her nose to the grindstone, I think that she can she can have a voice. But I don't think she's going to be a contender in 2012. But just as I say that, who the fuck knows? You know, who the fuck? Oh yeah, we never knows? know. Uh, but my hope would be that uh, if you listen to somebody like, believe it or not. Uh, Oh, Megan McCain. 
uh, McCain's daughter. Right. Um, holy shit. Now, this is the emerging voice of the Republican Party. And what she says is the traditional core Republican values, limited government, no abuse of power, etc. I, I really think the younger generation, uh, the, the kids of the people from our generation in the 60s, are, are a lot wiser about a lot of these things. And they're just beginning to gather their own confidence and, and gain their own voices and, and be recognized. Well, Megan, I, Megan McCain, she, I don't know if she currently smokes pot or not, but she's not uh, all that adamantly opposed to it. Plus, her mom was an opiate addict, so she's, exactly. she's witnessed it up close and personal in her family. And well, thinks, what impressed me with her is, like, I looked at her blog and it was kind of silly and, and, and fluff and that kind of stuff, but I've seen her on talk shows. Is she getting better? Oh, Totally. Uh, you know, very poised, very confident, has the right kind of uh, uh, delivery and right message, good style, very camera friendly. Uh, so we, even if she doesn't become a, a force, and I don't, I doubt that she would for at least 10, 12 years, but that those seeds are out there and that the young people are the ones that are, are expressing these opinions because they don't have all that political baggage that the older generation does. They're allowed to say what they want. They're allowed to say what they think because they don't have any political capital to lose. The old guard is worried about protecting what they have, and they're always going to revert back to whatever reptilian techniques they used to get to where they were in the first place, because that's how they found success. Well, but another now, another so female that's that's doing uh, that ha has been. I mean, she's disappeared uh, just like her father did. But uh, um, Cheney's daughter, uh, oh, she, yeah. she was all over the uh, the cable shows and, and network shows back when she was defending Daddy. But Daddy's clammed up, and apparently so has she. But she was she's a smart woman. I don't yes. agree with a lot of what she says, but I think her her delivery and her intellect uh, far exceeds uh, uh, Megan McCain's and probably Megan McCain's potential uh, oh, yeah. to get there. She's a real smart smart chick. Yeah, but they're out there. I mean, that's what's an important thing to recognize, that the Sarah Palins and the Rush Limbaugh's and Bill O'Reilly's are, are the, the shrill extremists. And they're the ones that are out there screaming, you know, burn the witches. Yeah, but you know who's just, who's just as shrill and shit is uh, Keith Olbermann and Rachel Maddow. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, I can't yeah. watch those fuckers. And, and uh, <laughs> the guy Chris I. Matthews with Harpo, Jesus Christ, I get constipated. I wish that somebody would give us their time and let us do a show on cable TV. Well, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll, I'll announce this to you because probably at this point you're one of the few <laughs> listeners still doing. But I'm putting together uh, the funding. I've just about got it. But I'm going to take the opium den off the uh, audio airwaves and uh, put it into the video show. I'm, I'm starting my own online uh, TV show, and we'll be on. Uh, we'll be on three, possibly four nights a week, uh, right there on the old uh, internet. We're going to do a, do a TV show uh, three Fantastic. or four nights a week. And anything yeah. I can do to help, let me know. Well, um, you know, you might have to come on down and uh, and be a guest because we've got a lot of uh, a lot of interesting things that we're that we got on the drawing board here. And surprisingly, it is not that expensive to uh, to get this thing rolling. A lot of it is oh, just please. your monthly costs for wave streaming and setting up the studio and the like but uh that's what's on the drawing but we're going to take the opium den to uh to the internet tv fantastic so, yeah i think that's going to be it's going to be some fun and we'll see if we can uh get a little uh get a little attention and irritate some of the uh some of the more intransigent 
uh, prohibitionists out there. But that's what we're going to do. And uh, if I get uh, if I get things rolling, maybe we'll have you come on down and stay in the back bedroom and go to the studio and get crazy with us on online Absolutely. TV. Absolutely. And, you know, the visual component is a major part of getting people to quickly see and understand what's going on, too. I mean, that's really the focus of my site is like, okay, look, look at it yourself. Stop arguing about whatever the hell you read in the news and look at it. And then tell me how this picture fits what you're telling me. Yeah, and as, and as much as I like to believe that, that people are going to tune in to the TV show to, to, to look at me, as much as I believe that, I'm also I'm interviewing a sidekick. We're going to call her Cannabis Girl, and she's going oh, to cool. be she'll be my uh, co-host for uh, for Opium Den TV. So, sex sells. Well, <laughs> 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 yes, it does. So, any any young ladies out there living in this area or that want to move to this area and want to be a Cannabis Girl on Opium Den TV, uh, let me know. But that's what we're that's what we're up to. Uh, down here, Brian. So you all settled in up there and everything good good for you? Yeah, pretty much. I'm actually on vacation this week and, you know, pseudo vacation. We did actually make it to the beach. But, I, you know, can't help doing work because there's so much that I still have to do. I'm still busy doing uh, updates, basically, for most of the data sets on my site, uh, trying to get them ready for this year's DPA uh, conference. And Are you going to be there in Albuquerque? I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, at, at this point in time, I... I, I might. I, I don't have it in my heart at the moment to go out there and argue and, and say, okay, you know, when are you guys finally going to get your shit? Yeah, yeah, exactly, man. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> no, I mean, it's God Almighty. Yeah, these, still I mean, tell me that I need to complain about needle exchange programs. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, really. I mean, these guys are just as, just as silly as the prohibitionists. I mean, it's a career. It's oh, a lifestyle. It's, 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 they're giving it's, it's their living. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're stringing people along bullshit. saying, well, you know, we're winning our fight. We're doing great stuff. No, you're not. Yeah, no, that we're winning our fight, we're doing great stuff, and by the way, send us another $25. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah I'm not, not going to go to Albuquerque. We're, we're in the same boat, I guess. Yeah, I've, I've pretty much taken it that the only way that I can get involved in doing something like that will be that I'm going to have to write books, and I'm going to have to go out there and promote my books just like you did and say, okay, you know what? you got to be a whore, baby. you got to be a whore. Yeah, unfortunately. I mean, I tried to do it for free online, you know, make it accessible to people, but the reality is that they're not using it, and, and they're still mired in this arguing back and forth about, uh, you know, minutia, or, or, you know, the wrong detail levels in the wrong way, and, and, and making the case that, oh, you know, we're going to get there a little bit at a time. No, no, you're not. Uh, so I think that uh, my best shot at, at, at having an influence is to continue to do what I'm doing. And, and write some books that can put it into some kind of coherent sense. Well, you, you everybody... write you write your you write your book, and we'll and we'll uh, we'll fly you down and put you on Opium Den TV. Sweet! I already have a working title for it. You want to share it with us? Absolutely. Drug war rehab. <laughs> I like it. Entire need of. I like it. I like it. Thank you, sir. Okay. <laughs> Well, listen, Brian. It's great having you back on the show. I'm glad you're uh, you're up and uh, on the internet, as they say. And it was really great talking to you again. Uh, my Likewise. hours my hours about up, so I'm gonna I'm gonna close it out here. But uh, thanks again for uh, for calling and tell everybody the name of your website again. www.briancbennett2ns2ts.com, or just Google anti drug war. 
There it is, ladies and gentlemen. Go and visit Brian's site because if there's anybody that's got all the pertinent data and the graphs and the shit that makes you just go, hmm, it's Brian. So check him out. Thank you, sir. All righty, Brian. Talk to you next time. Thanks again, okay, brother. Okay, take care, Daniel. All right, you too. Bye now. All right, bye. Okay, well, that was Brian Bennett, friend of the show. I haven't talked to Brian for a few shows. He was on, and we did an interview with Brian, a smart fellow in drug policy. So it was nice to, uh, it was nice to hear from uh, Brian again tonight. So here we are. We've, uh, we've pissed through another 64 minutes, and I want to thank everyone for coming inside the Opium Den this evening. I hope that uh, you'll do it again next Thursday night. And as we like to say at the close of every show, when good people obey bad law, bad law never changes. Good night.